Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. It's really good to be back. It, it really is. Thank you. We were blessed and we had the huge privilege of going to... Are you all laughing at me a little bit? Lots of wires everywhere. It's all crazy here. It's all happening here this morning. But it's really good to have you, Mercedes, up there. Nice to see you guys. Hello. Misha's family and the, the twins as well. Really, really cool to have you with us this morning. But um, Fiona and I had the privilege of going to Thailand for 10 days. So as you guys all can see by my tan, um, <laughs> been on, on the beach for 10 days. We were blessed. Um, didn't really get tanned because I just uh, I, I put... Uh, Sun, I covered myself in sun, sun cream from head to toe every morning, and, uh, and it really works well. Uh, 50 SPF, perfect. I tell you, you need nothing more in life. But it's really good to be home. But um, one, one cool thing that I just felt God stirring me afresh as we were there, uh, we, we got to spend some time on, on Pipi Island, and we were in Phuket. And uh, when we were there, there, not many of the people speak English. I know, it's a shocker, hey? What are they doing? But they speak in their local languages. But, um, but it was so hard to communicate with people. And there was one, uh, one of our taxi drivers on the way to the airport named Nom. A young 25-year-old guy uh, with a girlfriend and two kids. And, and that's, what I pick, that's all I really picked up in, the, in an hour-long conversation. Because it was so hard trying to ask him. And, and, and his English was probably one of the best out of the guys we could spoke to there. And as I asked him, I said to him, I said, tell me about your religion didn't know what I was talking about, so I said, are you Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist? Oh, Buddhist, Buddhist, he got that, and then he asked me, and I said, no, I'm a Christian, you know, I love Jesus, and he could just check, he wasn't really trying to, wasn't getting this, this conversation, it was so hard to find words, and it reminded me of a man, Chris Wienand, who used to lead Glenridge Church in Durban, then went and planted a church in America, and uh, he went to Singapore for the first time in the 80s, and uh, he and his wife, young 20-something couple at that stage, um, they went from South Africa to Singapore, and they arrived there, and on the, in the same sort of journey, a taxi journey, they were with a lady there, and they were chatting, and, and the lady asked them, what do you guys do? And they were pastors, so they said, no, we're pastors. And she looked at them blank, and she had no reference or word for pastors. She said, what does that mean? So they're like, no, no, we can try and explain. She, they said, you know, we, we're in the ministry. And she went, ah, oh, government, government. And they're like, no, 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 that's not it. And eventually, after all these, uh, trying to explain what they did, they just went, okay, baseline, let's start from the very beginning. You know Jesus. And she looked at them blankly and said, I, I don't think he lives around here. And all humor aside, something in him just broke in his heart. And so he realized, and that sounds like a shocker, but he said there were people who had never heard the name of Jesus. And for us South Africans, I think we live in, a quite, a, in, a, in a, quite a great space where people at least have a reference point. But to realize again that actually we don't exist for safe suburban living when there are people out there who've never heard the name of Jesus. Oh, I was like, God, break my heart again for what breaks yours and the fact that God has called us. And I just want to remind us on the get-go this morning that you and I are alive for something so much bigger than you could ever imagine. Not just to shuffle the chairs, not just to, just to do church and do life as usual when there are people who need to hear about Jesus. So I want to commend us again and put a fire in our hearts again saying, will you remember people named Nom? And, and, and people in Thailand and people around the world and people in our community who are desperate for this name, Jesus, and who don't know the truth about it. Can we carry that into our lives? So just something that's just burning in me. We are in a series, if you are unaware, called God Is, and it's really exciting. I'm loving the series. I hope you're enjoying it as well. Um, to bring you up to speed with why we're doing this, we're not doing this as a theological exercise to give us a lot more we know. 
statements. We know that God is this. It's not about that. Knowledge is good. But we actually are wanting to get it deeper in our hearts and to a deeper level where it becomes we believe that God is this. Because I want to tell you that it's the, what you believe that will determine how you live. Your belief system determines how you live. And that's not just a Christian thing. That's a worldwide human thing. Humanity runs on that principle that what they believe, the belief system determines how they live. You just have to look at ISIS. They believe something, so they live it out in a quite a drastic way. It's a belief system. And we're wanting to put a belief system about who we believe God is to be. So we don't just live in the dark and make educated guesses of who we think God is. Or because we've seen a few Twitter and Facebook statements and say, that's my theology. No, we're going to go to the word of God and let him shape us. So we started with the macro views of, of God. We start with God is Yahweh, God is creator, God is trinity. Big out there type statements that can only be attributed to God and God alone. None of us can, can grab hold of those and say, yes, I want to be like that. No, no, no. But that's who God is. But we, we're zeroing in a little bit. We're Googling Google Earth, zooming in a little bit more onto who God is. And today we're landing, lo and behold, I know it's a shocker, God is Father. Who would have thought on Father's Day? Who would have thought? What a, what a, what a curveball this morning, eh? Shocker. But uh, just to get off the, off the ground this morning, I, I read the story years ago of, of a nun who visited a maximum security prison, and, uh, and she was there ministering to all these young reprobates and of society being locked away. And she had such a burden for these young fellows. And she said, um, when the time came, these young, these young men in the prison, she was chatting to him, and Mother's Day was coming up, and one young guy came to her and said, listen, I would love to be able to send my mom a card. I've let her down so much, I want to be able to send her a card. And she said, no, I'm sure I can organize that for you. And uh, as, as, he was about to, as she was about to go get those and make the plan, the guy came back to her and said, actually, I've spread the news that you're going to get me a card, and many other guys want a Mother's Day card as well. Please, could you organize it more? So she thought this thing grew and grew and grew, so she, she actually phoned Hallmark and said, Hallmark, I'm, I'm doing this in the prison, could you help me out? And Hallmark gave her a thousand cards for Mother's Day. Every single one was d- d- dished out. Every single Mother's Day card was dished out in this, in this maximum security prison. And these, these inmates wrote letters to their moms and sent the cards out to their moms. And she thought, this is so beautiful, so wonderful, making a difference in their lives and helping them connect where they feel disconnected. So she suddenly looked ahead in the calendar and she saw Father's Day was coming. Got a, oh, what a, great, what a great opportunity. So she, she just bypassed the whole system, phoned Hallmark and said, oh, I need another thousand uh, cards for Father's Day. True story. Not one card for Father's Day was picked up by any of the inmates. The boys, they didn't want anything to do with their dads. And, and, and it's something that's so fundamental. And that, that story is followed closely on by another one I've recently heard about an, an American society. There's become a big inquest into, into baseball, Major League Baseball. Because they're realizing that not a lot, that Major League Baseball in this, in this, in this progressive society is just becoming whiter and whiter and whiter. No African Americans are coming to play baseball. And they went and they got the a whole task force together and said, what is going on here? And they tried to get to the bottom of why the African Americans aren't translating and playing into major, major League Baseball. And, and what they found out was they realized that, that, major league, that baseball is a sport that's actually handed down from father to son. It's a sport that fathers pick up a, a glove and a ball and go and throw, play catch outside with their son and pass on their, their love for the game to their sons. But they were finding that African uh, American communities, a lot of them did not have fathers, so they weren't being exposed to that. So they were going over and just playing pick up games of basketball with their mates, and they were going that way. 
And it's, it's this, this story after story after story I could tell you in recounts of, and, and, you're not, and you're not unaware of this. I don't pretend that you're unaware. But in society, the role of a father has become diminished and has become um, pushed aside and has become less and less. And, and its influence on society has been seen. I, don't, I think we can all attest to the fact that we can see the lack of fathers, what the lack of a father does in an individual's life. And, uh, and it's this, this, is a, this moment we've seen it, you can see it in, it's systemic in our culture. You can see it in, in media. I don't know, I just have to mention a few, Al Bundy, for some of the older folks here. Al Bundy, you know, the typical father figure, or Homer Simpson, you know. Just, fathers in most, most comedy shows, or most television shows are, are shown as, at best they're shown as, uh, portrayed as weak, bumbling, inept, uh, ineffective fathers. You know, and so they're always the comedic, with their, with their lack of integrity or their lack of, of able to do the role of a father. It's quite a comedic edge. <laughs> Look at him, the useless father. It's actually a stereotypical role now in media. And, and I think in reality, it's even maybe not as comical. In reality, knowing that the lack of fathers, and then, or maybe they're present, but they're not actually engaging the role they should be doing. In reality, we think that they're absent. They're aggressive, non-engaging, failing to deliver what they promised. And I, I bet if we polled the room, we would have story after story of where our father, maybe he was there, maybe he was good at some levels, but where they failed us at some level. Didn't deliver on the things they promised. They didn't engage when they probably should have. They said things they, you, you wished they could have taken back. Or they didn't say things you wished or longed to hear. I think we all have stories like that that we could recount. But this morning... I want to preach about God is Father, and I, and I know that this can come at a, for those who have been in church for years, can come as a religious jargon almost. God is Father. Yes, Father God. Sounds, and, and I want to bypass that. I want to go over that. And maybe you're here as well from the other lens where you've not been in church, and you're quite maybe angry at your Father. And you don't want to hear this. Actually, no, no, no. I don't want to hear that language. I want to say, I want to pray that for both sides, that we listen in with fresh ears, because I believe God is going to speak freshly to our hearts, and he's going to, he's going to put a, a, a courage in our hearts again to look at him and see him as Father. This is not just an academic exercise as well. I just want to make that clear this morning, because I really believe that seeing God as Father will trans- translate us being better natural fathers, if we understand who he is, that God as Father will lead us to become better fathers, in the natural. But again, like what we said about Henry, I believe that the call is even greater than just a natural father, that God is calling us, calling a community to pick up the role of mothering and fathering. In a community where fathers are absent, God is calling for men and women to stand up and say, we'll stand in the gap. And I believe that I'm 28 years old, but I believe that I can play a role as a father in a community even at this age, that God is no respect of age. But he says, will you pick up the call? Paul wrote in the, in the end of in one of his letters, he said to Timothy, you have many teachers. And I think that's true of our life these days. We've got access to Tim Keller, John Piper, Mark, who do you ever you want. You can have teacher, biblical exposition on the internet, you can download it. But he, Paul wrote this, he said, you have many teachers, comma, but not many fathers. And I think it's so true that that is actually the, the, the problem, I believe, sometimes of doing uh, the Christian faith at a distance or doing it via television or doing it via internet is you can have access to many teachers. And I can tell you, they'll be much better than what you get here. But I promise you, the problem is that when we do it in isolation, we, have, we lose the, we, we, we validate Paul's statement of, but you don't have many fathers. You don't have many mothers. You don't have many brothers and family dynamics. So this is why I'm preaching into this morning, if that's all right. We're going to read two verses of Scripture, just two verses. Can you believe it? Luke chapter 3, 
It's going to be on the screen behind me if you, have your, if you don't have your Bibles. But let's read these two verses together, then we're going to pray. Familiar portion of Scripture, but let's read it. Luke chapter 3, verse 21 says, One day, when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and with whom I am well pleased. Father, this morning, for the next 20 minutes, as we look into your scriptures and into your nature and your character, I thank you, Father God, that you're about to do something profound in our hearts. I pray, do it in my heart, God, this feeble preacher, this insecure boy. I pray, Father, as I hear your voice afresh, would you stir in me courage? Would you stir in me identity? Would you stir in me a future that I could never dream was possible? Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are here this morning and you are wanting to speak to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I've said it many times before, but the power of an introduction is powerful. An introduction is a, is a key, key moment. I, I remember quite clearly the day when I met Fiona. It was at church or at a table view in the evening meeting. Uh, one of our, she had joined our community and I had been texting her uh, because, you know, millennial. Um, but you know, also the reason why was because I was given her number by a friend and said, could you connect her into the life of the church? And I said, sure. Is she pretty? No, I didn't ask that question. I'm much more, much deeper than that, guys. Come on, give me credit. But she was pretty, which was good news. But I got her number and I said, hey, I love you. I got her involved in the home group. Come to church. So she came to the church that day. And I remember walking in and I could see her at the corner of my eye. But I was like, you know, got to time that introduction. You got to time it, you know? It's like, wow, she's pretty. But you don't want to be like too eager because then it's like, whoa, 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 what's going on? But you also don't want to be too laid back because there's, there's a queue of guys. Look at it. You know, you got to, timing is everything. But then there came a moment when, I don't know if you know Wayne Bartis, but Wayne Bartis has my back. He came up to me and said, Gabe, I think you, you're leaving it too slow. You've got to get there. And I, I was like, what do you mean, Wayne? He says, have a look. Wally Gertzma was there. And Wally Gertzma, let me say this, for a long season, I was the single guy in church. And for lack of a better word, he was my pimp. <laughs> yeah. My wingman, my wingman, better word, better word, thank you. Sorry, wingman, wingman. Don't use that word in church. But Wally, in his good-hearted way, 30 years my senior, but would, would go, whenever there was a new single girl in church, he'll go, hey, have you met Gabe? Like, in a sense, that sort of type of reality. Now, it was helpful. <laughs> but for the fact that I'd been single for six years, and he had done this a few times, it hadn't been helpful, as you can see. So I saw, I looked over, and, and Wayne said, I walked past, and Wally was saying to Fee, First thing, said, hey, how are you? And found out you're single. I said, you're single? Have you met Gabe over there? And was pointing to me in the corner. Hi, like a weird guy. Like, so Wayne said, you've got to go. You've got to move. So I remember, I was like, hello. And I, I pushed Wally out the way. I introduced myself. Fiona describes it as, she said, it just sounded like just gold was pouring out of my mouth. She said, Does this, she heard Barry White in her ears. Something like that. Eh? No, you can't remember any of it. Oh, anyway, sorry. But... I'm telling you, if there was CCTV footage, you would be, you would be amazed. But let me just say that a part, an introduction, it's, it's so important. I don't know if you've ever met someone before, but the first impression is so key. That's why we gotta move. When, when someone's trying to introduce me in a different way, I've gotta move. She's gotta hear it from the horse's mouth first before she hears about that creepy single redhead in the corner. No, 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 no. Let me tell you about myself. I can put my best foot forward. 
But we've, we've explored this theme in, in Scripture as well, that the fact in two couple of weeks ago we looked at God as creator. And we looked at Genesis 1, that God, the first image of God that we live often with in our headspace is that God is uh, thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening. You know, a Zeus-like image of God who's ready to smite us when, we, when we've done wrong. But actually, that's the furthest view of who God is when his introduction is first seen in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 was he said, God is a creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He showed himself out as an artist, a sculptor, a gardener, fashioning creation out of the dust of the earth. God introduces himself as a creator. Profound. And that actually, that's, we, and we explored that. And if you missed that uh, meeting, I'd encourage you to go have a listen to it because it has huge ramifications on our lives. But then we get to this text now. Luke chapter 3, verse 21 to 22. This is Jesus' first big public moment. For the first 30 years of his life, he's lived in somewhat isolation, somewhat um, in the shadows, just, just, just going about his father's business, working with his dad, Joseph, just, just doing, going to temple, doing routine life, Life on life, just doing it like as every day, Monday to Friday life. But then comes this moment, year 30 in his life, and this is the pinnacle moment where he's going to almost reveal himself to the world and start his mission towards the cross. The final three years of his life where all the miracles took place. And, uh, and this is the start of it. And it's, it's, a moment, it's an incredible moment where Jesus comes out. It's, there are crowds upon crowds. I can imagine my, in my head there's just thousands of people. The Bible says the crowds are being baptized. This was... John the Baptist was at the height of his popularity. The original JB. This was John the Baptist. He was, his Twitter handle was JB. It was just huge. You know, he was massive. He had followers coming from far and wide. Everyone wanted a piece of John the Baptist. This was a setup for, for Jesus in his introduction. And he comes out. He comes down and he, and he says, I'm going to get baptized with full or righteousness. He gets baptized. But what is significant in this moment as he gets baptized, as he comes out the water, the scriptures tell us, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And then says, from, from heaven, a voice sh- uh, bellows out. And in my head, it's Morgan Freeman's voice, but that's just creative license. But it's just big, and it's God the Father speaking. And he says these words, he says, this is my son, whom I love, and I'm well pleased. The first time that God, Jesus uh, and his relationship with God is revealed and who he is, Jesus who's been, that people have just seen as Jesus from Nazareth, Jesus, Joseph's son, but a moment when he's starting to declare, I am actually more than what you see. And I've come with a bigger mission, is God introducing himself in this time to this community, to this era, to this generation. He says, I am father and he is my son. Now, this is profound. This is huge. It's unusual because up to this point, if you ask a, a Jewish audience, the Old Testament only speaks of God as a father. In the whole 39 books, God being a father 15 times. And every time it's spoken, it's not in a personal, individual way. It's God being father of a nation, like a Mandela-type figure, like an Abraham Lincoln, or, you know, the father of the nation, Israel. It's spoken in a big, macro sense, but not, not, don't get too familiar with it. It's, it's like almost like a fearsome, holy way, which is good and true, and there's something beautiful about it. But for the Jewish people, they saw God as a whole, and not saying all of them, but as a whole, God was from a distance viewed as, as a Zeus-like character out there, big and, and God, but not as a personal father. 
Now this was huge, because in 39 books, 15 times, it talks about God being a father. Then from Matthew 5 to chapter 7, what is called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' famous sermon that would have got many views on YouTube, in just those three chapters, he calls God his father 15 times. 15 times he equals the amount of the Old Testament, in two, three chapters. Actually, in fact, in the, all the Gospels, Jesus speaks about his father, my father, 165 times. There's a huge transition here. And this is actually incredible because this is Jesus. Actually, the primary way he spoke about God was his father. He spoke about God as his father. Now, this is massive because this infuriated the religious leaders of the day. If you want to know what was the one thing that irritated them to the hilt, that, that pushed them so far of the air that they would commit murder and kill and crucify him and falsely accuse him and, and go to all these lengths to get Jesus off the page was because there he was calling God his father. Who do you think you are that you can come and call and do that? How dare you do that? I don't know if you've, if you've ever read the book. There's a book, uh, called, an, uh, quite an old book called I Dare to Call Them Father. It's a, a few yeses. There's a story of a, of a, of a young Muslim girl, a true story she read. She was reading the Quran and the Bible. And she was reading them. And she got to the end of them and she said, she started to pray one day. She said, God, I read these two books. And there's some incompatibility between the two. They can't be both pointing to the same way. I've read them. There's something so different between the two of them. Which one is the true one representing you? And she heard God's voice say, it's the one that calls me Father. Let me tell you, Muslims would not dare to call God Father. That's the height of blasphemy. I want to tell you, it's too familiar, it's personal, but Muslims, the Jewish audience that Jesus was speaking to found this to be blasphemy that Jesus would be called, would call call God his Father. And this ultimately led him to be crucified. Can I tell you, this, this nation at that stage, and I think it echoes on our lives as well, we're happy to relegate Jesus to be a teacher. Hey, teachings. Your teachings are good, man. They're okay. We like what you're doing with your teachings. They were, they were actually okay with them being a moralistic influence on the culture. We like how you're doing that turn out of the cheek stuff. It's quite helpful. Yeah, it's good. Maybe even a bit quirky. They're like, he's quite quirky with that warrant to wine stuff. It's quite cool, man. Uh, hey, the leaders were okay with that. But as soon as he started to say, I'm something more than just a teacher. I'm something more than just a moralistic influence. I'm more than just a party trick here. I am the son of God. He is my father and I am his son. That sent them off the edge. How dare you do that? I think it's something we have to answer ourselves. C.S. Lewis, a man who's famous for the Narnia writings, but also a theological writer, he said, a man who was merely, speaking about Jesus, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus cannot be a good teacher and in the same breath call himself son of God if that's not true. That statement alone then would disqualify him being a good teacher. But Jesus saying, I am the son of God. He is my father. If you're going to take these, you've got to take that. Otherwise, throw it all out. Anyway, just a big thought. 
But I want to tell you, it's dangerous, subversive language. And Jesus wasn't talking a generic, say, a father, God is my father. Ho, ho, ho. Father Christmas type figure. Or, he's the father of all children. You know, very nice and generic. And uh, No, no, Jesus was going dangerously personal, saying he is my father. And he went so far, he called him Abba, which can be translated into dad. Oh, Wow. This was crazy language. Actually, this was the whole, um, the whole actually theme of what he came to do. Jesus said again and again in the scriptures, he said, I came to show you what the Father is like. He was so actually so frustrated that he was saying, you, you Pharisees are distorting what my dad looks like. He says, you're coming and you're putting a false picture of who my dad is. In a sense, he was, he was frustrated that they were coming and introducing a people to a God who was not what God actually looked like. It says you're holding him at an arm's length when God is a father. And Jesus came and he said again and again, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the father except through me. He talks about my father's house has many rooms. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Again and again, he talks that in John 17, his big prayer. I'd go, go read it. I read it the other day and it just blew me away. John 17, Jesus praying to his father. And he says, Father, I have made you known. Jesus' big goal coming to earth was him dying, us saying being set free was not the end. Us being set free is not the end. It's being set free to the Father. John Calvin says the, the cross is the, the Father saying, I want my kids back. This is the height of the gospel. Rory Dyer says, if you had to describe the gospel in one word, how would you do it? And a number of people throw out things, but he said for him, it's, it's Father. That actually Jesus came to take us back to the Father. And a lot of us, I, I think we've, we've landed, we love Jesus. But the thing of fathers become distorted because we've had experiences or we, we haven't had experiences that we should have. And our human lens gets tainted of what the father is actually like. So Jesus came to show us what the father is like. And I want to do that very briefly this morning. I will definitely not do an exhaustive job. I cannot. It's impossible. But two points. And then we'll have coffee and toasted sandwiches courtesy of Sarah, together. But number one, Jesus showed us a father who was infinitely powerful. Let me tell you this this morning, for time's sake. Our heavenly father is not insecure. Wow. Can I tell you, I once heard that there's nothing more dangerous than an insecure father. A father who's trying to live out his failed dreams on his sons. A father who's trying to prove a a point with his sons. You know, I've heard stories, and and if this is you, feel free, but I've heard stories of fathers, you know, to teach their sons lessons. You know, honestly, so a 13-year-old who, who, just the father gives him some bucks and says, hey, meet me in Joburg. And that's your, your, your boy to men right of passage. You know, these, these crazy things, trying to prove a point. You've got to be a man, man. Come on. And you know, this type of language that, that is strange and, 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 and weird. But I want to tell you, our father is not insecure and he's not trying to prove a point with our lives. Yeah. So much so, can I tell you, theology, he's actually, even when you, people said, no, I'm sick now, so maybe God's trying to teach me something. Can't find that in scripture. Yeah. He's a father and he's not trying to teach you a lesson through suffering. Yes, he does say no. He does say no a lot. And can I tell you, a lot of people get frustrated because God is saying, why is God saying no? Why is God holding out of me? How can God be a loving God if he's not doing X, Y, and Z? Can I tell you, love is only love when he says no because he's more convinced about our future than we are. 
Some of us are wanting the yes, the quick yes, but he's not an insecure father who wants to appease us and keep us happy. He's not insecure. He is so convinced of who he is, and that's a beautiful, beautiful, safe, secure place to be as a son. He is not insecure. Can I tell you as well, he's not nervous about the future. Wow. I don't know about you or your families, but it is a nerve-wracking time to be alive with ISIS on the rise, economies plundering, falling. What is going on racially in our country and around the world? What is happening with Donald Trump? Oh my goodness. I don't know. Not too sure. Will I have money to send my kids to university? Will I, I don't know. Will I have, will the Sharks ever win anything? I don't know. Tough questions we got to ask. But I want to tell you, our Heavenly Father is not nervous. He is not wringing his hand and going, oh, recession. Or, oh, I don't know what, or what they're going to do. He's not nervous. He's not anxious. He's not nervous on the precipice of heaven looking down. I don't know what to do. The Bible tells us he is seated on his throne. And someone who's sitting is not stressed. <laughs> he is just, he is there. And he is, he is infinitely powerful. I want to tell you again, he is also not in recession or counting the pennies. Can I tell you, you have a father, uh, growing up in Zimbabwe, it was a tough thing to learn, I think, and I'm unlearning it now, where because of the situation and because of my dad and my mom and, uh, and the economy's falling and suddenly we had money invested and suddenly it disappeared overnight and we had nothing. We moved from an acre property to a two-bedroom flat in Durban and, and years of pensions gone and, 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 and suddenly there was a little bit, there was insecurity in my mom and dad around finances and fear and, okay, we, oh, I don't know about this thing. And, and we, you can feel it as a kid. And I think I picked up on that and I started bringing that into my marriage and being a little bit nervous of, but actually, it's not my finances that prov- provide my future, it's a heavenly father. But I think I've put my earthly lens on a heavenly father and I think, actually, I don't know if he has enough for my future. But he's not in recession. Let me tell you, the scripture tells us in Romans 11, one of my favorite scriptures, says this, Paul, the writer, gets to the top and he says, Oh, the depths! of the riches, of the wisdom, and knowledge of God. Oh, don't you love those words? Oh, the depths. The Bible tells us that he owns the the cattle on a thousand hills. Actually, he owns the hills as well. This is a father who is not in recession. He's not bankrupt. He's not trying to make a plan for us. He's a father who has resources upon resource upon resource. And this is huge for us. Can I tell you another one? I'm going quickly this morning. But he does not, our father does not lie. He keeps his promises. Wow. Do I know many fathers who don't? I can tell you stories, heartbreaking story after heartbreaking story of young men. Because I, we've grown up in this community for a while. We have walked with, we've got dads who live far away. And have made promise after promise. And the young boy comes running and says, my dad said he's going to buy me a car. I'm like, that's so awesome. Never happened. Then I come again. My dad said he's going to pay for my studies. Never happened. And after a while, that, that boy is not coming very excited anymore, going, yeah, my dad said he's going to come visit, but he probably won't. And that's not an uncommon story. That happens time and time again. Dads, you've promised, but don't fulfill. And we start to think, actually, I don't know if I can believe this either. Let me tell you, you have a dad who keeps his promises. The Bible even tells us that he says, as Brett mentioned a couple of weeks ago, that actually he cannot lie. He cannot deny himself. It's impossible for God to lie. He cannot lie. What he says goes. Incredible security in that. Can I tell you, this is amazing because our father has a job description called Yahweh, creator, the great I am, alpha and omega. 
This is our Father, and He's infinitely powerful. And what has this got anything to do with you and I this morning? Yes, it does. Because I tell you, if we see our Father as being infinitely powerful and let that go deep in our hearts, it starts to provide and produce a security in us. And I can tell you, I know too many Christians who live very insecurely. They live based on what the economy is doing. They live based on how their job is going. They live based on what their friends are saying of them. They live based on, is that girl or guy liking me? And their lives are like this. And there's fear and anxiety. And there's too many people who are living in anxious spaces. But I can tell you, I believe the root is because they don't know an infinitely powerful father. They know a conditional father. And they've attached that to him. But he is an unconditional father. And I want to tell you, my father, our father in heaven, has resources, energy, and has this word, an inheritance for you and I. Fathers provide inheritances. Now, the word inheritance, I think, has been, uh, is we've, we used to preach a lot in churches, but we haven't for a long time. Inheritance can be another word, you can substitute there, future. And I think, for me, that's if I'm speaking very vulnerably, I think coming from Zimbabwe, and we, we used to have this phrase called, we'll make a plan. Because there's no electricity, ah, don't worry, we'll make a plan. There's no more bread, ah, we'll make a plan, man. We're having chicken again for the 99,000th time in the last, we'll make a plan. The chickens are running, we'll make a plan, you know. We're just a make a plan people. So we'll just shift money, just, oh, just move there, live in the debt, yeah, move there, you know. And I think it's, it's crept into, I think South Africans, we're the same. We live at a makeup, we'll make a plan, don't you? We'll make a plan. But I think a lot of it, it comes from an insecurity because we don't know that there's a father who will provide a future for us. So we're all scrambling. And how this finds reality here, and as I was praying in the last couple of days, I even felt that God was saying to us as a community, on a base level, that he wanted to attack this thing in our hearts. That I think people here are sitting here and they don't actually believe or there's fear in their hearts or their anxiety and they actually are settling for less because they don't believe God will provide them with a spouse. And because of they don't actually believe it, so they, the, 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 fruit, the fruit of it is they actually give themselves over to lusts and pleasures and quick fixes and, and settling or, or fear anxiety. But the root of it is they don't believe God is the future. I have to make a plan. There are people here who are sitting in businesses and are so stressful and anxious they don't know that God has got a plan. So they're making quick fixes, moving money around quickly because they don't know I've got a father who has an inheritance for me. And I feel God wants to go in different, whatever example is, but God wants to go into our hearts and deal with that make a plan thing and actually say, you're my child. Language that's found in the New Testament. Can I tell you, this is so huge that in Luke 15, there's a story I know you probably are familiar with it. If not, it's the story of the prodigal son, where there's two boys, and they come to the father, and they say, Father, give us our inheritance now. We want to go live out there. And the, the father gives them inheritance. So basically saying to the dad, I wish you were dead now. Give me my money. I want to go do what I want. And, and somebody once said that actually the story of the prodigal son is not about a son who went out and sinned wildly. It's about a son who came and took his inheritance too early because he was not convinced of his father's goodness. I think that's profound. I think there's people, I think that is in our community, in our society, there's too many young people, too many old people, too many people who are taking their inheritance. They, they are trying to make their own futures because they do not trust a father. And that leads to destruction. That leads to death. Can I tell you, often we know that God is infinitely powerful, but I want to tell you that Jesus knew that his father was infinitely powerful. And there's a huge emphasis shift there. 
If we live, we live in, yes, God is infinitely powerful. But if until we know that he's our father, infinitely powerful, when he's our father, then we understand that we have access to his infinite power. But when he's God, I think a lot of us live in devoid, not in reality of that. That's point number one. The father who is infinitely powerful. Number two is that Jesus came to show us not only a father is infinitely powerful, but a father is intensely personal. Intensely personal. I love that scripture. Luke chapter 3, verse 21 to 22. Jesus had this big moment of baptism, the big moment where the transition from, from going from just run of the mill to going, now I'm heading to the cross. I'm coming to do what I came to do. The Father is there, and I love this. It sounds almost so silly. But the Heavenly Father was present. It's amazing. I, I think, I, I don't know, I... I, I don't really want to quote this guy, but I will. His name's Alex Ferguson. I know, I know. Shouldn't in church, eh? Alex Ferguson, a manager of Manchester United Club and one of the most successful managers of all time. And he was quoted in a BBC newspaper once, or an interview. They, they asked and said, what is, what is your one desire? What's your one regret? And Alex Ferguson had a uh, tumultuous relationship with his father that didn't, and his father died. And he said, I would trade all my trophies just for my dad to be here to see my success. I'm going to tell you, a man at that height saying something like that, and I think that's in most people's hearts. There's something inside of us that says that. But I, I, I see this thing that actually, I believe that knowing that the Father is present is something so fundamental for you and I. Can I and I think it translates into our physical lives here. Just showing up is often the biggest thing, as Emmanuel said. I just know of my own earthly dad who, who is by no means perfect, but, but I think did a, a great job with the resources available. My dad, who is very uncoordinated, he is very uncoordinated, he doesn't care about sports in the slightest. Can I tell you, for his 13th birthday, my dad got a box of mint chocolates and a, a book on Japanese art. <laughs> no, we're quite different. And yet, can I tell you something? My dad who did not even know the right way to hold a bat, was at every single one of my sporting games. And my dad had no clue of when to clap or when to shout, but he was there and he clapped at all the wrong times. <laughs> and I can tell you there were moments of embarrassment when he would be yelling in the first over, bring on the spinner! And I'm like, not yet. We come later in the game. But you know what? All of that gets in. Can I tell you the thing that I love about my dad? He was there. Can I tell you this incredible thing about our father, that our father is there. He's not waiting for an invitation. He's not waiting. He's there and he's here and he's pursuing us. And he was there at Jesus' baptism. The Father and the Spirit were present. Secondly, he's intensely personal. I love this fact about the Father taken from the baptism. He's not just there, but he was vocal. God is not the strong, silent type in the corner nodding his approval or shaking his head. No, he was vocal. He was not stoically standing there just doing his duty. And I've heard this from so many fathers and, and the, some of my f- greatest friends have asked me about their dads. I said, does your dad tell you he loves you? And they said, no, my, my, my dad knows that I love him. And the dad said the same, no, my son knows that I love him. I don't have to say anything. We've got an understanding. Rubbish! Can I tell you what we need to hear? I love you. I love you. We need to hear it. It is the most powerful thing, so much so that God, Jesus himself had to hear it from his father. He wasn't just present. Jesus knows I love him. I hope he's doing right. No, the father was there and he said, this is my boy. Wow. 
What words to hear as a father, as a son, and words to hear from your father? Can I tell you, tell them again and again. I love the fact that God had no shame in identifying himself as Jesus' dad. Wow. The father had no shame in saying, this is my boy. This is my boy. And, and this is massive. And uh, thirdly, in this understanding of intensely personal, was that he wasn't only uh, present, he wasn't only vocal, but he was also affirming. He was an affirming father. He was, the Bible calls it, he says, Jesus, God says of father, uh, Jesus, this is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. Delights in. Rory Dyer, a man who leads a church in Pretoria, we, Fee and I had the, the privilege of being with him and his, and his three, four, four kids. I lose count. And, uh, and with the youngest boy, Rory Dyer, see the thing, the boy said, called the boy, said, come here, come here, James, and said, what are the three things dad always tells you? And the boy said, rolled his eyes, like, oh, yes, dad. A bit embarrassed from our people. He said, you love me, I'm special, and you're proud of me. And the boy, you know, for the young boy, it was a little bit like this, but he recited it out of memory. And the dad, and Rory got him again in his hand, and said, yeah, boy, I love you. You're special. I'm proud of you. And I thought, there's just something in that moment. I was like, can you say that to me? <laughs> but I was like, I want to say that to my sons, to my daughters. I want to be a dad who not, not just, yeah, they know that, but actually I want to be affirming because I have been affirmed. And I have been encouraged. And, and I want to tell you, there's something inside me because I know that so many of us do never get that. We've never heard that. And it leads us to a lack that we, any, any time I watch a movie, Fiona Walter, she can't handle it sometimes. We watch the movie Eddie the Eagle. Anyone seen it? The young, the Olympian who, who just doesn't do well, and, uh, and, and he tries and tries and keeps failing, keeps failing, and he gets there, and his dad is so frustrated with him, dad says, I don't want anything, you go do your thing, and at the last scene of the movie, the boy has done well at the Olympics, he came last, but he made in the British record, spoiler alert, if you're going to go watch it, but um, he comes home, and his mom's there with a jersey saying, Eddie's mom, and then the dad's wearing a jacket, who's been so sad the whole time, and then the last thing, he opens his jacket and says, Eddie's dad. And I'm sobbing. I'm like, oh, that is beautiful. Like, this is amazing. It's like, I'm like, I think the reason why is not only because I need to know that inside of me, but I know that we as a people, we need to know this. Not just from earthly dads, but from our heavenly father. Can I tell you, this will change everything. I don't know if you know the, 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 the story of, so well you, use preacher's analogy, but uh, I'll do it if you forgive me. A, a Spanish newspaper, there was a, there was a guy, um, a father, who had had a bit of tension with his son, and his son had run off and disappeared into the Spanish streets, and the father searched for him day and night, day and night, and got to a place where he said, this is going to take forever. I, I need my son to know I've forgiven him. He must come home. So what he did was the father took an advert out in the paper and wrote, the headline said, Paco. Meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. Now, the problem is Paco is a very common Spanish name. (laughs) But when the father went to the Hotel Montana the next day at noon, there were 800 young men named Paco waiting to meet with their father who had forgiven them. (laughs) Something in that. 800 boys thought, Dad is saying I can come home. Dad is saying it's forgiven. Can I tell you what is so remarkable for me in the story of, God, of the Father and Jesus' interaction? God saying, this is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. This was before Jesus had done anything. 
where this falls in the Bible, this was not after a miraculous moment. This wasn't after the 5,000 feeding. This wasn't not after some raising of the dead. Lazarus, yes, God's saying, now I'm, I'm proud of you. No, no, this was before any miracle had taken place. But I believe this was strategic. This was catalytic for what God was wanting to do through Jesus. That this kick-started his ministry. There's no accident that the very next chapter that he goes into the wilderness, that Satan comes and tempts him three times and says, if you are the son of God, prove it. When the very chapter before God said, this is my son. And Jesus' answer says, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the father's mouth. And what had come from the father's mouth? Affirmation and identity. Can I tell you this this morning? That, that when we understand that we have a father who's infinitely powerful and intensely personal, it settles our desire, it settles our, and it secures us knowing that we have an inheritance, but it also secures us knowing that we have an identity. And I tell you, things that the enemy has robbed from the church and individuals for too long are their futures and identity. Futures and identity, who we are and where we're going. And can I tell you what settles that is not having a, going, doing a course or getting inner healing or, it's knowing, seeing the Father. See the Father. Hear his voice this morning that what he says about Jesus, he says is about you and I. I love this because this Jesus modeled this in the prayer as I come into land. He said this when he taught his disciples how to pray. He said, our Father. He translated, the conversation changed from my Father and he said, our Father. This is your story. But he said, our Father who art in heaven. I love that. He didn't say, Deity Steve. No, he said, Our Father. You don't call him God, either. you call him Father. But he also didn't say, Our Father who art in the living room. No, he said, You art in heaven. Intensely personal and infinitely powerful. Our Father who art in heaven. Wow, what a statement. It's not just an introduction to a prayer. That statement alone should captivate us and say, We have an intensely personal and infinitely powerful Father. I tell you this morning we have a father who wants to give inheritances and he wants to affirm identity and what he's also wanting to do is he's also underpinning that and saying will we as a people model our heavenly father and be spiritual mothers and fathers to people who give inheritances who give futures and who give identity what do I mean by that? I believe that, that inheritances are given from fathers. And I believe that God wants to give futures. There are people in, I was given a future in ministry, in life, because of spiritual fathers. Men like Wally Gersmeyer, men like Malcolm Herbert, men like Mark Van Peters, and other men I can, Rory Dyer, countless men who have sacrificed for me so that I could go further and have a future. And I believe God is calling young men, older men, to say, will I model the Heavenly Father and give inheritances and give identity? to people who don't know it. I believe God is doing that in us. He's wanting to do it in us and through us. I land with this story. Years and years ago, growing up in Durban, I, I, there comes a moment in every young boy's life where you, know, you live with your understanding of dad. Dad is, my dad is better than your dad. I don't know if you've ever had that conversation before. You know? And you, you, you live in a ignorance. Ignorance is bliss. You actually don't know how much your dad weighs. You don't know how if your dad could actually beat that guy's dad up. You don't know that. But you're confident in your dad. Like, my dad is bigger than your dad. But there comes a moment in every boy's life when they suddenly realize that dad actually isn't all that he's cracked up to be. Maybe it's when you first hear your dad swear. Or when you stumble upon your dad's secret porn stash under the bed. Or maybe when dad hit mom. 
for the first time. Or maybe when dad left home and didn't come home, never came back. And your image, you're like, dad isn't what I thought he was. I, I had a moment of realization a few years ago when I was living in Durban and I woke up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and I looked down, it was around five in the morning, I looked down the passage and I saw the light on in the, in the lounge. So strange. Like, what's going on? So I walked down there just because I just heard something going on there, walked in, looked around the corner, and I, and I came face to face with this image of my dad, Rowan, lying face down on the carpet with the Bible open and praying and praying and weeping and crying and praying and praying. And I, I stumbled onto something way too intimate. And I was like, this is, uh, something's wrong here. So I, I backed out, went to the loo, went back to bed. And the next morning I went up to mom nervously and said, mom, is everything okay? What's wrong with our family? Why is dad doing that? Mom said, don't you know, he's done that every day since we've been married. He's done that every day since you guys were born. Your dad gets up before the family to pray for the family. And I sat there knowing my dad's imperfections, knowing my dad's weaknesses, but realizing that actually, lo and behold, my dad was better than I first thought. And let me tell you this. Your heavenly father is better than you first thought. Your heavenly father is better than you could ever imagine. The Bible actually tells us that. He says he ever lives to pray for you and I. He's infinitely powerful. He's intensely personal. He wants you to encounter him today.